Hello? Hey, good evening. It's Rashida. How are you doing? Good evening, Rashida. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Now, uh, you're the dark skin activist, right? You got it right. What's going on? It's Philly Celeb, and you tuned in to the Late Night Date Night Podcast, where we sip on adult beverages, eat the finest hood Chinese store cuisines, and we pick the brains of the most beautifulest women in the world. Make sure you tune in every week. Make sure you subscribe, like, comment, and make sure you wear condoms, because it's spooky out here in these streets. Level up. These niggas not on my level, on my level. No, these niggas not on my level, on my level. No, these niggas not on my level, on my level. No, these niggas not on my level, on my level. No, these niggas not on my level, on my level. No, these niggas not on my level, on my level. No, these niggas not on my level, on my level. No, these niggas not on my level, on my level. No. Yeah, the thing that got me into, well, no, I'm not going to even say into dark skin activism because I wanted to be clear that dark skin activism did not exist before Rashida Strober. A lot of people think I'm being arrogant about it, but I'm actually being factual. So I want to preface it with saying that because when I was coming up, growing up dark skin, that bearded little girl, it was nobody that was talking about dark skin on a consistent dark skin or should I also start at colorism? Because now people are talking about it, just now doing it, riding a bandwagon wave that I created that people are not giving me credit for. But the fact is, nobody was speaking about this. And there was nobody to do what I'm doing in terms of being an actual activist where you focused only on dark skin and the issues that are dark skin. First, it was a female, because I was looking at it from a female perspective. But the issues that dark skin people face, nobody was doing that. So I grew up with nobody to talk to, nobody to express how I was feeling, too. So as I became a young woman in my 20s, I would go to my family and start talking about um, darkism and dark skin discrimination. And they didn't want to hear it. They basically said, you a hater, you jealous um, of light-skinned females. We don't want to hear this. That's pretty much what they said. So then one day I got an opportunity because I wouldn't let the issue go because I, at the end of the day, I really wanted to understand why is it that I grew up being treated differently for having dark skin and nappy hair? And it, at this time, it was I saw the difference between my cousin, who was a lighter than me, who had so-called good hair. She got good treatment, I didn't. And I was trying to understand why. So I got an opportunity to speak at St. Petersburg College. And I was um, a kid in the 80s, a teenager in the 90s. And so the person that stuck out for me but she didn't talk about dark skin. She just was beautiful and dark. It was Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill was big at the time. She had the nappy hair, the dreadlocks, and she was dark skin. And she kind of like made it a little bit better for dark skin people. But then I ran into um, Alec Weck. She was on the cover of Elle magazine in, I believe it was 97. And people with black people were saying she was ugly and dark and she was like a man and she wasn't the representation of what a black woman should look like. So again, this stuff kept haunting and intriguing me and nobody was speaking on it. So I got an opportunity in 98 when I was an undergraduate student at St. Petersburg College to talk about whatever I wanted to talk about during African American History Month. And I said, I'm going to talk about being dark-skinned head-on. 
And I talked about it, and it's really funny because the same backlash that I get on social media for talking about it is the exact same uh, backlash I got that day that I gave birth to dark skin activism. And from there on, I just started doing uh, lectures on darkism, colorism in the community in St. Petersburg, where I'm from. And then I got the opportunity to, to move around the country and do lectures here and there. And then I started uh, developing plays um, and writing books only on dark skin um, as an artist. And so that's really, I hope that wasn't too long and drawn out, but that's really the root of where this whole dark skin activism thing came from. It came from my childhood and then just trying to understand it. And no, there was nobody to help me understand it, so I had to figure it out and create a new lane that was not created before. Now that's dope that you created your own lane. I like that. So, thank you. What what type of backlash do you think dark skinned people face? But first, what type of backlash have you faced just being dark skinned? Uh, it started from the you know the day I was born. I believe it's just first of all the the different treatment in my family. So I come from a family where I'm the only girl with five boys, and I remember my brother. Um, it was like two. Uh, smaller or younger girls in the family, my light-skinned cousin with the good hair and my dark-skinned self with the nappy hair. So my brothers, they treated her better. So it started right there in my family. Um, I always felt less than because I saw the difference in treatment that they would give her versus me. And then it just continued as we became teenagers. And then in school, starting out in elementary school, I started to see the differences where the black boys would gravitate towards the mixed race or light-skinned girls with the good hair. And then as I progressed to middle school, that's when I really started getting picked on throughout middle school and high school for simply being dark-skinned with nappy hair. That's where the bullying really started. And then as an adult, I mean, I wrote a book called Darkism, 25 Ways Dark-Skinned People Are Discriminated Against, where I describe specific, very specific instances what I call darkism in everyday society. So, for example, I would go in a Chinese restaurant. I went in a Chinese restaurant. I talked about this incident where I came in there. I was in line first. A light-skinned woman with curly good hair. Well, this is what black people call it, good hair. Um, she came in, and even though I was there first, the Chinese people took her before me. Same thing happened when I went into an Indian establishment. Um, to, uh, if this is like um like an Office Depot type place, but it was owned by Indians. I'm standing in line waiting for about, you know, 10 minutes and a light-skinned woman comes in there and they immediately take her before me. Like, so stuff like that has happened to me in my life more times than I can count. It's just, it's really about disrespect. The way that people, they they devalue you and they don't see you as equal as or or worthy of getting the same type of treatment as a lighter-skinned person or a non-dark-skinned person. So it doesn't just happen with black people. It happens with white males. That's a, that's another thing I've, I've experienced a lot where uh, with customer service. And as you can tell, it happens a lot with uh, customer service type uh, human interactions. So you'll see like a, a, a black person, I've seen this before, they'll have a white male customer or even female, but I'm mostly seeing male. Well, they'll be like, hi, how you doing? They got this vibrant personality. And then when you come up and you speak to them, they halfway speak to you they don't want to deal with you and it's because it is because you're dark skin it's because you're darker even though people don't want to admit that is the big elephant in the room so that happened. Yeah, you know it's been it's been a lot of instances that happened to me 
Oh, I'm sorry to cut you off. That happened to me at Wild Wild the other day. Like, somebody was all nice and jolly. It was a black person, too. They was nice and jolly to a white customer. Then when I came up, they didn't give me no type of nothing. No, have a nice day. How you doing? Nothing. They just checked me out, and that was it. That's dark. And that's, that's the devaluing of dark-skinned people that I continue to talk about and have been experiencing for the longest. And I keep telling people that this happens, but then people want to write it off. They want to... Say, well, you know, you have an attitude. No, uh uh-uh. it's, it's, No, that's not it. Because if I have an attitude, I'll, I'll admit when I'm being mean and nasty. But no, I don't have an attitude. It's the people. When they see, it's almost like when they see, uh, whether it be, in, in, in generally, this kind of happens with black people. When they see a person that's black or dark, they feel like this is their reflection. And for some reason, this self-hate just comes up to where they feel like I don't have to be on my best for you. You're not worthy of that. And that's the, that's what bothers me the most. Because I'm a human being just like you are. We're both black and we might even be dark skinned. So it's a little bit more painful for me when it comes from a black person or a dark skinned person versus when it comes from a, you know, a white person or a non-black person because I know what the root cause of that is. I understand that clearly. But when it comes from your own people, that's just like a, a double slap in the face. So it's a big problem, and, and my aim is to draw attention to it and to stop it. Okay, so that's your goal. Like, so how do you how do you plan to stop it? Like, you planted the seed, you created the movement. So, like, your end of, your end overall end all goal is just to stop this whole uh, darkism thing, right? Well, yeah, and my actually, I got two goals in mind because I, I'm, I'm I'm very honest. Um, Dark skin activism, the root of it came out of me wanting to appeal or look good to the black men. That's really where, because that's what I I experienced in my childhood, not being accepted because I was dark skinned with nappy hair versus seeing non-dark skinned females with, you know, being accepted. And I wanted that acceptance too. So that's number one. I want to reconcile the relationship between black men and dark skinned women, which I feel we got a lot of work to do. And a lot of people... A lot of people are plagiarizing and ripping off my work, but like who? That goal. I know. I know. People on television. Anybody you put like this. Anybody you see talk about dark skin, they're not being honest. That's another part of darkism. They're ripping me off because nobody cared to speak about this. Nobody cared to make videos on it to come on um, social media. I'm the first person to do that. But the reason I said that is because I want people to understand. I don't want to think my goals, my original, organic, authentic goals to get diluted. It came out of that pain from myself not being accepted from, you know, black men and wanting to reconcile the relationship between black men and dark-skinned women. That's goal number one. Goal number two, which became the bigger goal, because with any movement, as it, as it progresses, you're going to learn new things and realize, okay, hey, I need to revamp this. But one of the things that I learned is that Dark-skinned men, it can't, this can't just be about beauty. I can't just be like, oh, I should have caught up in myself and my self-esteem and wanting black men to accept me. It has to be bigger than that. So it, it's branched out to all dark-skinned people, including men, which I was only focused on the beauty aspect of being dark-skinned. So the larger goal is what darkism is really rooted in is economics, is money. It's all about the money because if you look around the globe, you will see this is a fact that the darkest people are the poorest. Now, you may have pockets of dark-skinned people that are wealthy, but that's a small percentage when you compare it to 
white wealth or European wealth on a, on a, on a global scale. So, for example, in America, people love to point out Oprah Winfrey. Well, Oprah Winfrey, I love Oprah Winfrey and respect her, but she is what I call a, a token dark girl, which is the title of one of my books, Token Dark Girl, the it dark girl of the moment, where they'll allow one or two people to come in and say, here's an example, like they're doing with Lapita now. She's another token. They'll come in and say, here's an example of one dark-skinned person. See, we're not uh, discriminating. But that's not enough because the larger issue is the millions of dark-skinned people around the world that are in poverty. So now my issue is this idea of, um, of, of life chances, which the German sociologist Max Weber, he came up with this idea of life chances, just, which just pretty much means a person's chances um, economically, socially, educationally, of achieving what they want to achieve. And the darker you are, the harder it is for you overall. Now, the opportunities may be there, but sometimes you might have to fight a little harder. So, for example, um, to prove what I'm saying, that the life chances of dark-skinned people are more harshly impacted than non-dark-skinned people, it's a bunch of studies out there. So, for example, there's a, there's a study conducted by Villanova University where they talk about the, darkest, the darker you are, the more prison time you got. This was a, a, a study that they actually, uh, you know, got subjects and researched this. They went and looked at the, the statistical data and looked at the prison sentences. There's another study uh, that was conducted by two scholars at the University of South Florida that showed that the reason why, um, dark, what, they, what they were basically saying is that dark-skinned men, and in this study they talk more about the men, were literally forced into a life of criminality due to them being discriminated against because they're dark skin. So there, there are academic studies that are showing the link between dark skinned people and their life chances. Um, there's other studies that show that dark skinned people earn less money. And That's that crazy. dark skinned people have less education. And it's not that we're not intelligent. That has nothing to do with it. It's just this, you know, from white supremacy, slavery and white supremacy, that's where it comes from, dark skin has been devalued, while non-dark skin and white people being the, the lightest of the non-dark skin are at the top. So then we, we, we start to look at people like Dr. Francis Cress Wilson, who in the ISIS papers broke it down for us why these people are doing these things to us, why they are devaluing us like this. So, I know that was a long, drawn-out answer, but no, I like I like it. You dropping yeah, you dropping knowledge. I like that. Keep going. <laughs> well, the overall go, go, going back to Doctor Francis Crossland and make you rest in peace because Doctor Francis Crossland and I didn't even realize it at the time. I read her book, The Isis Papers, back in about two thousand. We got these conscious people coming online now and they're recording it. But what they're doing with the debates and they showing all that, I was doing that like in ninety eight. I was a member of a group called the Uru Movement. And I would have certain conscious people come to my house. We would get together and have debates. There was no social media, but this is what we were doing. So a friend of mine, Kanoon, he introduced me to the work of a lot of people like Dr. Sheikh Anthony Diop, um, and namely Dr. Francis Prince Welsing. And I bought her book, The Isis Papers, and she really helped me to understand, because I was trying to really understand why the hell am I being treated differently from my own people because I'm black. And her book... The Isis Tabers, with the, with the essay she wrote in there, the uh, Crest Color Confrontation Theory, I believe that's what it's called, but it's inside the Isis Tabers. She broke it down where the root of this is white supremacy, where white people are actually in the minority worldwide, 
people of color are in the majority and the darkest people get the brunt of white supremacy because white people are upset that they cannot produce color. And so they naturally take it out, take out their anger and their rage and their projection and their self-hate on the darkest people. And so Dr. Francis Wilson really helped me to understand, oh, okay, this is, this is um, there's another book called Pedagogy of the Oppressed where the author talks about oppressed people and how they tend to attack each other. They take it out on, they turn on each other. I think uh, Dr. Neely Fuller, he talks about that too, but uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed really goes into the mind of oppressed people where they turn on each other. And so that's what's going on with what I call intra-darkism, where the dark-skinned people and black people, they turn on each other as a result of being oppressed by white supremacy. And Dr. Francis said, Wilson, I would have to say more than anybody else, helped me to understand the why, because that was really what it is. I need to understand the why so I can move forward. Yeah, that's deep. And I'm glad you did the research on it. So this is something you're definitely serious about. This is something you live for. You'll die for this, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just, what it, what it really is, is it was over a, a period of time where you just, you're just developing. Um, I'm an academic myself, and I don't say that to, to impress anybody. I'm saying it just so you will understand the, the context of which I'm coming from. So I was in college at the time. This is the, you know, I was a, um, I have a, a bachelor's degree in history, a master's in political science. But I was inclined to just keep studying and trying to just understand different historical um, agendas and different political agendas, trying to understand this. And the way that you do that is you, you study. You go back and you study history to understand why the hell are people behaving this way. So as a result of that, I ran into Dr. Francis Crest. Wilson's work, and like I said, she helped me to understand why black people behave the way that black people behave to each other, because we're, we're only doing it because we have been oppressed by white people, and so when you, when, when you know, when you see the, a white man being treated great, getting great customer service by some black person, sometimes I gotta be honest, I feel sorry for them, in one instance I feel sorry for them, I got this range of emotions. I feel sorry for them because I know that they're trying to, you know, please this white person because they think that the white people are the most important. Um, and, and it's like this unwritten rule that it's supposed to be okay that I treat you like this because I need to take some of this, this smiley, smiley pressure off of me. So let me just chill. But at the same time, it's still unacceptable. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand but all of it comes out of this system of white supremacy. It, it's, it's really messed us all up. In a lot of ways. And that's that's deep. Now, along with you bringing awareness to it, how else can we stop darkism? How else can darkism be stopped? One of the main ways that we could do it is starting with the children, and that is something that I have done on a, a conscious level and an unconscious level. Um, I've, I've worked in the public school system um, as a substitute teacher, as a and also uh, at the college level as a, um, an adjunct instructor. So one of the ways, and then also in the community, tutoring kids for free. Simply speaking to kids about darkism. When you see it happen in a classroom, and I've seen this happen in a classroom where kids get mad because somebody say, oh, you black, or I call you, uh, you know, choose the, the light-skinned girl over the dark skin. I've seen all of this. 
what you have to do as an educator, if you're in that situation, is you have to stop and drop everything and deal with it head on. And I've done that. I, I don't. I don't do. I don't tell nobody to do nothing that I haven't done. So because the kids are the next generation, obviously, and you got to plant the seed in them so that they can become more aware that this is something that is, is wrong. It's something wrong with treating a person differently because they dark. So then going back to families. In our families, what we have to do, black people are in such denial. I hear on a yearly basis, people in conversation say stuff against being dark skinned. One time I was with a client of mine and she grabbed my hand and said, come on, let's get out this sun before we get blacker. She didn't oh, realize wow. she was doing that. But it's like an automatic thing. So what you have to do is stop and deal with it right then and there to make people think and become awake because the programming is so thick and it's so entrenched that it's like chipping away at it. You know, you're chipping away at a wall trying to get it down. If You know, uh, uh, the Shawshank Redemption, that guy, he was chipping away at the wall over a 20-year period. Mm -hmm. So it's like the same thing. You got to keep chipping away at it by letting people know, hey, this is wrong. Planting that seed in their brain. And so that's, that's the way I deal with it. Another way I deal with it, too, is dark-skinned people have to understand. And people have called me materialistic for this, but I'm actually not. This is a new revolution. Dark-skinned people have got to get their money. Dark-skinned people have got to focus on ways to get their money. Because, see, if, if you economically stable, then you have more power. So if you look around the world, for example, I did my graduate thesis on the dark-skinned people of Sierra Leone who had a 10-year war. Now they got all those diamonds over there, mm -hmm. but the white folks was controlling everything, and they over there fighting each other and killing each other. That's an example of what I call systemic economic darkism against dark-skinned people. That has to be reversed to where the dark-skinned people control and benefit from the wealth. So what I want to see is dark-skinned people get money. That's what I want to see. And with myself, from a female perspective, you understand where I'm coming from. People don't think, a lot of people don't think that dark skin women, even though they might not say it, they don't think that we're supposed to have wealth in terms of having a man with some money. They think that that's supposed to be reserved for non-dark skinned women. No. Dark skinned women have a right to marry and date men that have wealth as well, or not just uh, necessarily wealth, but men who are going to do their part economically to take care of that woman. That's the aspect of it. So I tell young ladies that I talk to, don't settle for less. Don't be out here taking care of these men. Don't be out here letting these men use you. They should be taking care of you. You deserve to be taken care of. If a, a light-skinned woman or a white woman could be taken care of by a wealthy black man or a, 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 a man, um, you don't, again, you don't have to be wealthy because I don't discriminate. A man that's working hard every day, you deserve the same thing too. So what I'm saying is, it's all about the money for dark-skinned people, whether it be a man or a woman. We have to focus on ways to get our money. So one of the things that I've done is um, go, I've gone into the school system again, focusing back on the youth again, because they, they, they got to grow up and deal with it, um, is teach them about developing different types of businesses, that you don't have to go to school and get a job. <laughs> you can go to school and start a business. That's true. So, you know, just doing things like that in the community. Um, 
or on whatever scale that you can do it on to encourage economic development and wealth in the black community among the darkest people. I know that people might be like, oh my God, what's wrong with But you got to understand that the darker skinned people are the, have been the ones that have been the most disenfranchised. That's a fact. If you look around the world globally, we can clearly see this. That's dope. Now, let's switch gears real quick and talk about as far as you dating being dark skinned, like relationships and situations you've been on that you you know influenced your darkism movement. Right. Okay. Well, if I go back to again, going back to my formative years, the truth is is that dark skinned males did not like me. They did not like me because I was dark and with nappy hair, not the acceptable look. So I didn't get a lot of acceptance from dark-skinned men. That's a fact. And like- I never personally had a problem with dark-skinned men. Um, I was actually married to a dark-skinned man. Let me, let me go back a little bit. I was actually dating a dark-skinned guy. He was real pitch black. I will never forget him. And he just, um, he didn't, he just, bailed out on me. And I, I didn't know where he was. I never heard from him again. And I was just like torn apart. Um, I remember times where I would go out. I, one time I went to the Martin Luther King parade and I had some dark skinned guys. I walked past them telling me I was ugly. They didn't even care. They like, it was just out with it. So I've been like attacked a lot in my life by black men. And that's been a big problem for me. So, when I got married, I ended up marrying a, a dark-skinned man because I don't discriminate. I don't discriminate against um, uh, brown-skinned, light-skinned, dark-skinned men. It just so happens that the dark ones have always discriminated against me the most. So I was very shocked when a dark-skinned man married me. But even with that, that wasn't even real. I ain't gonna even go into that too much, but no, you could go that into wasn't it. even the real deal because that, this dark skinned man married me for the wrong reason. What's the wrong reason? <laughs> so, I mean, I ain't gonna, that might that might have to be a part two, but I'm just gonna say I'm gonna put it like this: ninety day fiance. That's what I think. That's what I think. Like how long? But, um, how long were y'all dating? How, how long? No, I don't mean to cut you off. How long were y'all dating before he proposed to you and you got married? Well, we, we actually knew each other for like 10 years. Um, we knew each other for like 10 years before we before I got married. So we, we were friends. But I still felt like, based on his actions, and that's what I go off of, that I was actually used by this person. And I ended up deciding to go ahead and file for a divorce. So after I divorced him, I did not go out and look for a particular color of man. I didn't look for anybody. I didn't go, ooh, you gonna find me a light skin, a brown skin man, or a dark skin man. I never, I never go look for men. They just, they come to me, actually. That's how it usually works. And what happened was a light skin man, I dated a light skin man prior to the one I'm dealing with now, they came to me. And I was like, okay, this is what it is. 
And so people have a problem with that because they say, well, you, how can you be a dark skin activist, the dark skin activist, and you're dating um, a light skinned man? Well, that's how. That's the explanation. Also, a, a, a further explanation is people have to understand that dark skinned women are the most victimized. This is a fact. People can do their research by darkism. Okay? We, we get it the most because for, for, for women, people have to understand that beauty is power. Okay, if you a light-skinned woman with so-called good hair, that's power. There's power in that, and we see examples of that all over the place, where these lighter-skinned women are able to marry uh, the best black men, or black men with money, black men who might be middle class. That's what these black men will go after. While darker-skinned women, we might have a little bit of a harder time, because these women are able to capitalize off of their light skin and their hair, because that's what a lot of these men prefer. So, for people to be upset with me for dealing with a light-skinned man, it, I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. Because, again, dark-skinned women are the most victimized. A dark-skinned man is not going to have as hard a time finding a mate because he's dark-skinned as a dark-skinned woman would be. Because for men, power is about money. If y'all got some money, it doesn't matter how you look, you're going to be able to get any woman you want, regardless of race or color. But for a dark-skinned woman, for a woman, everything, when you are a woman, make no mistake about it, I love education, but a man is not looking at you going, oh my God, she got a master's degree. A man is not doing that. They're looking at how you look. So, <laughs> your, your power, your power is in your beauty. So, do you have some... So, you know, oh, go ahead, my fault. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead, my bad. No, I'm listening. No, I'm saying, do you have something, like, so, are you against dark-skinned men dating light-skinned women? Or, like, or marrying white-skinned women and stuff like that, or no? I mean, no, I see in a not. couple that's, of posts. That's another, that's another misconception. I'm actually glad you asked that question. I'm not against uh, light-skinned, or uh, black men dating white-skinned women. I'm always going to talk about it, though, if I feel that there's darkism. And I'm never going to stop. People get so mad at me, I don't care. I'm never going to stop calling this out until I feel that there's a level of equality. Because here's what has happened for so long. That black people do not want to admit, and I find this to be hilarious, that black men have given light-skinned women preference for years. They've had the upper hand ever since slavery. This is a fact. If you go back and look at Reconstruction, the Reconstruction era right after slavery. You can clearly see that the black men, as they progressed in education or maybe they started uh, owning property and businesses and gaining money, they began to marry the mulatto or lighter-skinned women. And this just progressed as the years went by. So the light-skinned woman has always had preference, and that's wrong. What I'm saying is, I'm not telling a, a black man not to date a light-skinned woman. I've never said that. What I'm saying is balance. It has to be a balance. You can't just go around saying, oh, I'm going to marry. And I'm not talking about have sex with a dark skin because I'm not satisfied with that. I'm not satisfied with a black man having sex with a dark-skinned woman producing a single mom. That's unacceptable. I'm talking about marrying, having a family structure with a dark skin. There has to be a balance. That's what I'm arguing for. It has to be. You can't. You can't keep showing favoritism. 
for the lighter skinned women and then get mad at a person like me when I start calling. That's the thing. People get mad because I call it out. I'm actually really one of the first people that another person called a booth. I got she's the only one I give credit. To call this out to say, hey, stop almost exclusively marrying light skinned women. And then dealing with dark skinned women when you need something, when you you know, when you go to jail or when you you know, when you're going through discrimination or when you when you trying to uh, get your career together. Deal with a dark skinned woman when everything is all good. Marry her when everything is all economically good for you, just like you do the light skinned woman. Let's just have a balance. That's all I'm saying. That's what I've been saying for years from 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 the start. It's never changed. No, I see I see your point of view. Now you said you never approach any men. So do you think dark skinned women should approach start approaching the men that they want? No. Well, no. Like, y'all can do what y'all want. Y'all can do what y'all want. But I do not believe personally. With, I don't care what color the woman is. Let the man come after you. You don't need to. Women should not be out here being thirsty approaching men. That's just a, a desperate. I just see that as desperate and thirsty and. I see that as masculine. The man is the one that does the chasing. Let the man do the chasing. Because if that man isn't going to come for you and chase you, then that shows that he's really into you versus you going out here chasing after this man. No, let the man come to you. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes I think a dark-skinned woman could, could make is throwing herself off on some man. Because even you know, if you get that man, is you, you got a question, is this really authentic? Let a man. Let the man be the man. Let them stand in their manhood, and you stand in your feminine power by letting them shake. So, what are what are some other downfalls that uh, dark skinned women face when they're dating, and just in relationships, just dealing with people? Um, I think that this is one of the pitfalls that I've fallen into myself. Um, I'm trying to break out of this. I know I may not seem this way to people, but I actually am a pleaser. I'm a people pleaser in a relationship so sometimes because we know that we might be the second round drive pick we might go above and beyond to please a man and don't do that I'm not saying don't be nice or kind but make the man prove himself to you before you before you just go all out that's one of the, the biggest mistakes that I see I've seen uh, women dark skinned women I've seen them take care of the man. I see them be the breadwinner while the man doesn't do any work. Now, I, I haven't done that. Now, I, I'm not going to tolerate that. But I've seen this happen before where the man is only with this woman because she works, she got a job, he's sitting there, he's doing nothing while she's doing everything. I'm talking about dark-skinned women. Don't do that. Another mistake I've seen, this is not necessarily for a man. This is about just self-love. Um, and I'm not saying that all dark-skinned women do not take care of themselves, but because I care about how dark-skinned women are treated, and I know that dark-skinned women attack us the most, I'm saying that we gotta do different things to keep ourselves competitive, because it is competitive. So dark-skinned women need to take care of themselves. Dark-skinned women need to, I always tell this story, I never mentioned this person's name, but there's this dark-skinned woman I know that used to always come to me, um, heavy set. she never kept herself up, none of that and she would say oh black men don't like me black men don't want me and I'm, I'm gonna get a white man she'd always tell me this and I would be honest with her and tell her look why don't you work on self love first put yourself first don't think about getting a man lose some weight because if you lose some weight you know you're gonna get rid of some of the health problems you have some health problems 
Um, so that was number one. Lose weight, take care of yourself. Take care of your skin. Take care of your hair. Take care of your physical body. Because let's just be honest. Men are visual. And it's already a strike against us, a lot of us, because we're dark skinned. So what you have to do, what you should do, out of, again, first it's about self-love and not just attracting a man, because I think that that's just going to come along with it, is you have to take care of yourself. Dark-skinned women have to take care of, and the young ones, the young dark-skinned women, see, they got the upper hand, because people be, some of them, these people crazy, they'll say, oh, you ugly, but actually, these they be beautiful, because they're young. So if they can maintain that and keep that in their head, don't smoke, don't do drugs, don't do alcohol, I would advocate that you go vegan, that's just me, I can't make somebody do that. But take care of yourself, they'll be ahead of the game. Couple that with economic development. And, you know, so avoid the pitfalls of falling into, because some of us will fall into a depression based on what we're going through. But you can get out of that by taking care of yourself physically and mentally. That is very, very, very important. And I think that's something that dark-skinned women all black women can work on, but again, I'm focused on dark skin women simply because of what we, what's unique to us is self-care. And it's so, it's so many examples and role models out there today in terms of health and wellness that it's no excuse. It is no excuse. I wrote a book called How to Be the Hottest Dark Skin Chick on the Planet. And it's, it's not about necessarily outside physical beauty. It's the stuff that goes on inside. And then that's going to be a reflection of what comes outside what, so what? focus on self love so what type of advice is in that book um, everything I'm saying right now um, I talked about my childhood growing up how I, I, was, I came through poverty and how all the stuff that I went through and how I just simply some, some people just have a innate uh, ability to fight through anything and I thank God I'm one of those people so I just said you know the, the motivation encouragement to just pick yourself up Dust yourself off, realize everything is going to be okay, and keep fighting. Keep moving. That's very important. And then I talked about uh, wellness, health, wellness, fitness, eating right. Those things are like key. Because, again, we have to understand that men are visual. And, again, I'm not just saying this just to appease a man. I don't want to make it a being about, oh, let me just do this for a man. No. But if you are looking to attract a black man... Uh, you should you should take care of your physical health. But I talked about, you know, what you could eat, exercising, um, green tea, uh, a lot of different things in the book. <laughs> it's just like, it, it was focused on health and wellness and on simple life lessons that I've learned to pull me through certain situations, staying away from toxic people. That's another thing. If, if, if you're around somebody that's going to uh, talk to you negatively, um, there's dark-skinned women that contact me, I had one about two months ago was around this particular person that was talking badly about dark skin women. And she said, what should I do? I said, cut them off. Cut them off without warning. Just get rid of them. Mm-hmm. That's what I would do. I mean, don't even give these people uh, your time. Don't sit there and explain to them what they did wrong. Just get rid of them. Simple as that. Take the power back. So, you know, getting rid of toxic people. Because that's another thing that dark skin women go through. I went through that myself where people will try to make you feel bad in your own family or your so-called friends because of your skin tone. They'll try to put somebody else, but you have to cut those people off. They're going to have to respect you. Another thing with their kids, 
if you have a child and you, you, you have negative family members who don't uphold and uplift that child and they, you know, they want to disparage that child because that child is dark skin or they want to compare to light skin, cut them off. Cut them off. You can confront them, but me personally, I ain't gonna even waste my time with you. I'm gonna get rid of all the toxic energy because then you are inviting in time for yourself to focus on things that's gonna elevate you and take you to the where you need to be. You can focus on positive things and getting around positive people. So those are some of the things that, that are in the book. Okay, so where can our listeners uh, find your book at? Yeah, um, all of my books can be found at um, uh, uh, darkskinactivist.com. Um, I wrote Darkism, uh, Token Dark Girl, Hottest Dark Skin Chick on the Planet, A Dark Skin Woman's Revenge. They can all be found on either Amazon or at my website, darkskinactivist.com. I know life get hard, man. Whatever you're going through, stay strong. Don't let it break you, man. It's dedicated to anybody that felt like giving up. Repeat after me, man. They say you won't let it break you, man. You stay strong through the ups and downs. You won't see the light at the end. You won't win. He took the stand. 
Yeah, I lived the crazy life. Carrie Burns paid the price. Couple hours at the district. You study overnight. Did a couple years upstate. I ain't going back. That's enough break. You can never get enough cake. You can never get enough. Ay. No, I won't.